Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. I was sharing um, at the earlier service, I, I, and I'm still filled with the, uh, an authentic and an original awe right now. I almost don't want to speak. I was like, really excited as a man, as a person, to, to preach Good Friday, my first ever Good Friday message, you know? And then when I got here and they started singing, I just felt like, woe is me a man of unclean lips. What do I know? What can I say? What can I add? What could I possibly add to what the Word of God has articulated, you know? And I just felt that all over again as we were singing that song. I was just sitting there trying to picture him. And of course, if you're anything like me, and you're trying to picture Jesus, thinking of him glorified in his body, that means a physical body, and he is risen, like he's alive. I, I just had to, I had to jump over the hurdle of the Hollywood you know, pictures of Jesus and whoever the various actors are who have played Jesus. And I'm just thinking, was that it? I don't know, maybe not. But what an exercise, you know? To try and picture the, the man, Jesus, in flesh and blood with hair and skin on, you know? I, I, I I can't fathom, and I'm really humbled to bring this word um, tonight, today, on Good Friday. Let's pray, and we'll get right into it. Jesus, I just thank you. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. For your body broken for us and your blood poured out for us. I just want to start with confession, repentance. Jesus, I'm sorry for the things that I've made it about. I'm sorry for the, the days, however many days have gone by and I have um, forgotten about the cross and the power of the cross and the weight of my own sin. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come now and thank you. I know you're already here. You're already here, Jesus. Thank you for being with us and coming to us this night, this day, this Good Friday, and this year. Soften our hearts and do a new thing right now. Just even do something right now, Jesus, for the folks that are coming tonight expecting tradition, whether they're online at home or they're here in person and they're expecting tradition. And Jesus, you are so much more than tradition. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are real and you are present. And thank you, Jesus, you are glorified and you are alive and well, seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling right now. Come close to us, I ask. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. I discovered this guy. His name's Greg Boyd. He's a pastor, I think, still currently, and a theologian. And he, he wrote this book, uh, Cross-Formed or Cross-Shaped, I can't remember. But the whole big idea of this, this book was that uh, we can read, we ought to read Scripture, God himself, and even life itself through the lens of Jesus and him crucified. That Jesus and him crucified is the filter for which everything else is pulled through. The sift from which everything else is pulled through. Quite a statement, isn't it? If you think about that, the cross 
as a historical centerpiece moment that everything else must be interpreted through. I thought that was such a profound idea when I first heard about it. And then I started thinking, what else is that like? Can we find that in Scripture? And I thought about Jesus when, upon asked the question, what is the most important commandment? And you remember what he said, right? The first is to love the Lord your God with all of your mind, soul, heart, and strength. And, and the second is like it, and it is love your neighbor as yourself. But he finishes and he says something so peculiar. He uses at least a really peculiar word because we, we, we don't make it that far, right? We know love God, love people. It's on the wall. It's on a banner. It's in 15 different places. But we don't make it to what he says next, and it's really important for how we read the Bible. He says that all the law and the prophets hang on this, these two commands. All of the law and the prophets, and at Jesus' time, that was the whole Bible, hang on these two commands. And, I, and just in my study this week, I found it so fascinating. Why does Jesus say hang there? You know? I, I always read it immediately as, well, the law and the prophets uh, depend on these two. Or the law and the prophets, they're summed up by these two. And I finally just said, what is that word? I wanted to do just a quick research on it. And I looked it up on BibleHub.com. You guys can all do the same thing. There's this Greek word, kremanumi. It just occurs seven times, and just in the New Testament, this word. I'll give you some quick references. They're not on the screen. But Galatians 3.13, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. Acts 5 and 10, Paul, to the, to the Jews who were unrepentant, they hadn't figured it out yet, you had him put to death by the hanging on a cross. Luke 23, a part of what Ben Esch read to start our service, the criminals who were hanged next to him, hurling abuse at Jesus. All the same word. Are you getting the connection? What connection am I making? What are you trying to say, Ben? What is your point? It's simply this. The cross is the filter. The cross is the lens that we use to make sense of everything in the Bible. And maybe, just maybe, as a fun bonus, this is just how I'm starting the message. This is just a fun intro. Maybe is a, is a fun, ironic, because we're going to do some irony tonight in Isaiah 53, filled with irony, just a juxtaposition of things that don't belong next to each other. But maybe when Jesus in that passage was saying that everything hangs on this, could he have been foreshadowing to him on the cross? I don't know. Because of just how historic and instrumental and poignant the, the, the cross would then be. I don't know. But it's the same word and that's the only way it's used. Why did he choose that? He could have said depends. He could have, he could have said it's the sift. He loved agricultural language. He could have done that. He said hangs. Cross, you guys, is the thing. It's the centerpiece that we go through to understand scripture. Today we remember and celebrate the cross something that we probably ought to commemorate more than one day a year. You know, I went for a run uh, on Wednesday and, and with the expressed intent to, to pray and to process my emotions and my feelings, you know, because I find that to happen when you go for a walk or a run, it just, everything starts to just filter, float up to the top, and then you get to pray through it and talk to God about it and, and ask him about it, what's going on, what's really going on in your soul. He just comes to me. He comes to me that way in a, in a run or better yet, a jog is what I do. And uh, I prayed in that moment. I said, Jesus, what do you want me to say about your cross? And what I heard back, whether it was the voice of God or my heart or my mind or whatever, was just simply, what do you know about my cross? 
I, I laughed out loud on the run. I was by myself. I didn't have headphones and I was just by myself on the run. I just had to laugh out loud. I just, okay. Yeah, great point. Touche, Lord. Touche. Because here I am thinking that I, that I know about suffering and picking up my cross because I have a wife and kids. What? Those things are gifts, actually. Those things are blessings. The psalmist said that the kids are a blessing to a man in his youth. Like arrows. Wow. Like weaponry, armor. Wow. And here I am thinking that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a suffering servant. I don't, I don't, I'll be honest with you guys. And this began this, this humbling that carries on into tonight that how, how inadequate I do feel to bring this. And so I just pray in the name of Jesus that the words of Scripture can jump off the screen or jump off your Bible or your phone, and you should go there. Go to Ephesians 53, because that's where we're going to be tonight, and we're going to just go some line-by-line stuff. So go to Isaiah 53, and, and we'll begin to understand together how humbling it is to talk about His cross, right? Because while there were others who were crucified during the time of Jesus, before and after the time of Jesus, there were many others that were crucified, but none ever that carried the weight of the sins of the world on their shoulders. What do I know about his cross? I want want to know more. I want to know more. And that's what we're going to do tonight by looking at Isaiah 53. We're going to do two things. We're going to address the weight of sin. And number two, we're going to accept the power of the cross to blot out that sin. Number one, we're going to really give weight where weight is due in terms of sin, the weight of the world that Jesus took. And number two, we're going to accept, we're going to look at the power of the cross to blot out that very sin. And we're going to do that just by looking at Isaiah 53, just that chapter, the whole chapter. It's 12 verses, so... You got lucky, okay, you're blessed. It's not too much, but this whole chapter entitled The Lord's Servant. Many in your Bibles, it might have some header like that, some topical header. The Lord's Servant, the Suffering Servant, maybe it says. Though, though it directly describes and specifically describes the events of Jesus' crucifixion, his suffering, his death, it was written by Isaiah 680 years prior. What is that? Wow. And it does such an unbelievable job at describing the gospel, you guys. If you, if you don't know about Isaiah 53, I'm happy to express to you the weight and significance and, and helpfulness, quite frankly, of, of Isaiah 53. I remember it from Christmas reading or maybe sometimes in a Good Friday reading, but there's the whole chapter. My goodness. We should all know it. We should share it. First, the weight of sin. And I want to qualify it by giving a little admission. Maybe you're like me. Uh, for many years in the beginning of, of my church work, I was so afraid to talk about sin. I wouldn't do it. You know, maybe it was the, the millennial in me, okay? Just didn't want to come across as too judgy. Didn't want to talk about sin, so I shied away from it. I steered away from it whenever I could, and maybe I would dress it up or call it by a different name. But what we're going to find out from Isaiah 53, and the daily reality of the world that we're living in, right, guys, right? The daily reality of the world we're living in. We don't have to call it what you want to call it. It's not good. It's not good, as some people try to suggest. But what we're going to find out from this text is is that we have to come up with a new admission. We cannot deny sin or death or the decay that we see all around us. And in what follows, we're going to see that, and we're going to give it the weight that it deserves, okay? 
And so, and, and, and I made Bethany our amazing volunteer in the media team tonight jump around, and she does such a great job. We're going to look at verse 3 and 4, and we're going to be probably mostly in the New English translation, the N-E-T. If, if that helps you, it will probably as we follow along. Because I'm not going to read it line for line, but I'm going to pick some out. All right? And so first, draw your attention to, to verses 3 and 4. It says there in, um, I believe it's verse, let's see, despised. Yeah, right there, verse 3. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. That's actually the New Living Translation. It says, our sorrows weighed him down. Now, I don't know why the word they came up with was sorrow. Because in the original Hebrew, in my opinion, it doesn't really come close. And you can find this by looking at different translations. But what that word sorrow means is actually our sickness, our disease that he carried. You combine that with the other part in in verse 3, that he was despised. What kind of picture are we starting to harmonize here in verse 3 and 4 that you can see on the screen, the more full and complete version? What kind of picture are we seeing? seeing? We're seeing a seriously ill person shunned because of a horrible disease. Are you you picturing what Jesus is picturing when he talks now later on or earlier in the the New Testament Bible when he talks about the lepers and the untouchables and the people in our midst that we would not want to look at, let alone touch or talk to? That's the description, you guys, of Jesus as he carries the weight of our sin, diseased to the core, just enveloped in this illness, shunned. It's a leper. Jesus becomes a leper on our behalf. It goes on as we talk about the weight of sin. It's not just a disease or a sickness or a sorrow. Verse 5 says that, that he was beaten so that we could be made whole. That's the thing I think is just so stunning about this chapter. You just get kind of wrecked when you read it. Because, because how, how can you put, Isaiah, how can you put those two words in one line? He was beaten so we could be made whole? Do you see the irony and the juxtaposition there? It's just stunning. And almost you can't read it. You can't make sense of it. This mystery of how the cross, the power to overcome in the cross, meets this, this crucifixion device, this torture and death. The negative result of sin laid right alongside there the positive result of our redemption being made clean. Such a weight that he was beaten, that he was lashed. Those times before he ever made it to the cross, lashed to, to the point of exposure of his organs, lashed so severely. That, that beaten today in our graphic society and time, maybe just read it and you think, ah, oh, what's a beating? But then you think about that. What actually happened to Jesus, the beating that he did take? to that kind of point, so that we could be made whole, the weight of sin. Verse 6 says that the Lord caused the sin of all of us to attack him. We wandered off like sheep, but the Lord caused the sin of all of us to attack him. Wow, is that brutal language? The preceding line, of course, says that we were exposed like like vulnerable sheep. The meaning is something like this. Let me translate and harmonize what's going on there in verse 6. The guilt of our sin was like a pack of wolves ready to attack and devour us. That's what our sin was like. Just a pack of ferocious and ravenous dogs. That was the guilt and the weight of our sin. But the servant stepped in and he took the full force of the attack 
We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Finally, as we drive home, the true weightiness of what Jesus carried, what he did, what he took for our benefit, for our sake, what he paid for our benefit and our sake. If you look ahead to verse 8 and verse 12, it's either on your phone or or it's on the screen. And and once again, I'm going to connect and summarize a little bit the the passage there. There's this, this theme of rebellion. So first he goes after bodily, the disease and the illness. And then he goes after the shepherding illustration and metaphor because that was big for the shepherd. And now he turns on to this this whole lawlessness, this legality, this judicial language here that we were rebels. He was struck down for our rebellion, counted among the rebels. He interceded for rebels. Here it says wrongdoers. You'll see it on the screen, wrongdoers. Just, Just, I think they already figured out, that's awesome. On the behalf of us as rebels, Is that what you see sometimes when you look inside your own heart? I'll be honest with you because that's the only speed that I have just to bear my own soul with you and say that's what I see sometimes when when I'm, because I can only be responsible for my own heart and my own soul. And sometimes when I look in there, I just see this obstinate little child, my (laughs) three-year-old. I have a couple three-year-olds and they're just so stubbornly willful. Like Jerry talked about one of our guest teaching pastors last weekend when he, when he spoke about Palm Sunday, and he too kind of alluded to the weight of sin, and he said, if you don't believe that sin is such a thing in our world, look no further than your local toddler. Yeah, dude, it's a stubborn willfulness, this obstinate child that's alive in me. I don't know about you, but, but when I read that passage, I, I just wanted to finish it, and you could do this too, because remember, we're going to pivot in a second. We're going to go to the power of the cross. We've got to get this right we got to make sure, because otherwise, if we don't have anything needing saving, then we're just doing the saving ourselves. And you don't want to be in those shoes. You don't want to be in that position, you guys. It's too tiresome. You won't make it. And so you got to put yourself in the right place so God can be in his right place. And the position that I'm in, when I look at my own heart, I just finish the statement. I say, on behalf of the rebels, dot, 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 like me. Because it's easy to say he died for the world. He died for all people, past, current, and present. And he died for the sinner who I know was a sinner, my neighbor or my friend, or or the unbeliever in our midst. But I just want to fill in that blank and say, on behalf of the rebels, dot, 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 like me. Because in so doing, you will meet Jesus in such a more personal and a profound way that he came close for you. That's, that's, that's the scope of what he's able to do. Yes, he can do the many. He can hear the prayers of two billion, and he can hear the prayers of you. That was an extra. That wasn't in the notes, but I pray in Jesus' name that you who need to hear that tonight, that he's hearing your prayers. Yes, just one in the midst of two plus billion worldwide Christians, he's hearing you. He can hear you, and he wants to draw close to you. If you just let him, he'll draw so close to you. That is the weight of sin that Jesus took on his shoulders. Let's pivot now and we'll look at the power of the cross. We'll go all the way back to verse 1. As we look at verse 1, there's something right away. You've you, you got to get this and you'll see just how powerful our God is and how, how important the cross is for understanding the gospel. In verse 1, um, the Lord's power. In other translations, it says, the Lord's powerful arm 
or his right arm. You know what kind of language that is? I mean, we take it for granted. We just say, oh, God's strong. He's probably big. He's mighty. Right hand, dominant. I don't know. It's a, there's biblical precedent for right hand. Okay, fine. We move on. No, 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 no. We cannot miss the language behind his mighty right arm. You know what it is? It's military language. That's, that's explicit military language. It's, it's war language. What does it mean? What is it saying? It pictures the Lord as our warrior who bears his arm. He's got the shield and the sword and the arm and he takes the blow for us. When the ravenous dogs come charging, he takes the blow. He takes the heat because he's the only one who's able through his son Jesus and what he goes through on the cross. That's such good news for us. He fights our battles, you guys. He's going ahead of us and he fights the battle. You're not alone. You're not alone. And not only does he fight the battles, check this out. This is from 1 Corinthians 15. Does he just fight the battles and then sometimes he flails and then sometimes he gets pushed back by the evil one? No! What does it say? Be thanks, give thanks to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't just fight, you guys. He wins. And he wins, and he wins, and he wins, and he wins. We have victory. We cannot forget we have victory through the power of the cross. Let's look at verse 5, going back to Isaiah. We're jumping around. I told you we would. Isaiah 53, verse 5. There's so much in verse 5 alone. The punishment of our peace was on him, it says. Meaning what was required for us to have shalom, mind, body, and soul, full body, wholeness, and peace, he satisfied. He took the punishment so we could have peace. We're made whole. That means no missing pieces. That's shalom. That's what peace means. It's not just a greeting or a salutation. We're healed. We are healed. Yes, many times in the bodily or the emotionally or the mentally, but also the spiritually where we are forgiven. And that's part of the language I think Isaiah is using here, that when we are healed, we are forgiven. We are made complete. What else does the power of the cross have for us? If you look at verse 8, again, this crazy juxtaposition, it goes from verse 8, he had no descendants. He was scorned. He had no descendants. And then you go ahead to verse 10. If you look at verse 10, the power of the cross, he will have many descendants. What's going on there? What's happening behind the scenes there? How does he go from no descendants to he's having many descendants? Who are the descendants? Why does that matter? Romans 8. Romans 8, 29 says this. You've read this before. You know this chapter. All things work for the good. That's Romans 8, 28. 29, it follows. God chose us to be like his son. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He gives them right standing. He gave them his glory. Okay, Ben, a little bit deeper. What you, what's going on? What you, what's, what's happening? It's very simple. He counts us as his family. Because of what Jesus does on the cross, and the power of the cross, brings us an inheritance. You know when you have a family inheritance, you know what happens? It means you have rights. 
We want to rear up in this day, in this last year. All we want to do is rear up in our own freedom, in our own rights, and all the stuff that we have, and we can just level up. These are the rights Jesus wants you to claim, that you have an inheritance, that you're called a family member with the Most High God and His Son, Jesus. And yes, even He is your, quote-unquote, elder brother. I always thought that was so weird, man. What is that thing? Is that, was that a part of like the, the Christian hippie movement or something? That Jesus is your, your older brother, your big bro? It's right there in Romans 8. One family. Is that a wonderful picture about how Jesus counts us one of his, one of his very own? You guys, that's the power of the cross. And as the band comes up, verse 11, finally... We've used this language around uh, biology, that we had a disease, an illness, but he covers us, he heals us, he makes us whole. We have this language around um, sheep herding culture, where we're attacked on all sides, but God puts out his mighty arm and he defends us. You have the agrarian metaphor, you have the biological metaphor, and then finally we finish with this amazing picture, this legal metaphor, or even this accounting metaphor. We're in verse 11 and 12. You can see it all through there when it says he acquitted. The servant will acquit many. What kind of language is to be acquitted? When you have your acquittal, what is it? It means that the judge and the jury stand before you. You guys, you have no case. We got no case. We can't do it on our own. The best legal team can't do it for us. Because of what Jesus does on the cross, we stand before the only true just judge. And he says, you have right standing with me. You have right standing with me. The balance is cleared. Whatever debts you owed are no more. There's another translation for this last passage. It says that he, is, he brings the reparation offering. You know, in this last year, that word came up a little bit socially, politically. You know, we ought to pay reparations. You know, it came up kind of politically and socially. That we, that we should, you know, help those who didn't get a, a, the best head start. And we do reparations, right? But, but there's a spiritual meaning here in Scripture for reparation that is unparalleled and unrivaled. That Jesus pays it all. He settles it and satisfies it all. And the glory about that family of God from Romans 8 is that he pays it all in this life and the life to come. That Jesus has a glorified body, it means in heaven. And that we too will have glorified bodies when we go to be in that place. We have an, a secure warranty in this life and the life to come. There's something that's so brutal about the cross that it's a punishment. It is a punishment and that is so brutal because something has to be paid. God being almighty, being holy as he is, cannot come close to sin. Not even close. He can't touch it. He wouldn't and we can't bring it to him. We need an intercessor. We need an intermediary. We need not justice, but we need mercy. And because God pays out justice on his son, he does something unjust. He does something seemingly so unjust because he takes Jesus, who was the one lamb who didn't stray. Right? He didn't stray. 
He was the one spotless and sinless lamb. And it was the only way that the score could be settled and the account could be settled is to bring an offering like that. That's a reparation offering. That's what a, a pure and spotless offering looks like that we could never offer for ourselves. But justice needed, it's a requirement for God to be who he is, for God to be who he says he is. And, and we read him to be in the scripture. That he has to be a just God. And the way he figured he would do that is to send his sinless servant, God in the flesh. He offers himself. God offers himself because he's committed to the world he created. Is that, is that a piece of theology? That's a piece of theology. You can stand on that doctrine. Because when you were told before that, oh, it's all going to hell in a handbasket, and it's all going to burn, and so it's all going to burn anyway, and who cares? No, no, God says, and how, what kind of logic is that? That God creates an earth, and he puts us on it, his most prized possession, and then it's just all going to burn? What? No, no, no. Because he's committed to the world he created. He sends his son, and we have power in the cross. To put it so simply, out of love. Why? Because love was the only thing that could satisfy the demand of justice. I'll say it one more time because that line is, that's it. That's the whole message. Love satisfies the demand of justice. Justice must be met. It must be for God to be who he says he is. And out of sheer love, he makes things right. And he gives us right standing because of what Jesus did. That's the power of the cross. And if you're still wondering, why though? Why does he have to de die? Why does it have to be this brutal? I love what it, what it says in the message translation of 1 John chapter 5. Eugene Peterson took 10 years to translate the Bible. And he, this is kind of his summary, his harmony of 1 John 5 says that he experienced a life-giving birth and a death-killing death. That's the power of the cross. You no longer have to fear. Guys, has this whole last year been about fear in some way or another? Fear of loss of job, loss of quality of life, loss of life itself. And the Christian need not fear anymore, death or dying because of, of the blow that Jesus took for us, a death-killing death. It is finished. And we want to give just a, a picture of that, actually an exercise, because there's been so many pictures already tonight, and now we want to give an exercise. And at the, at the foot of the stage on both sides is this cross. And I want you just to reach either in the chair in front of you or in the slot behind you, just grab the card. And you guys who are at home, you can do this right now. Get a piece of paper and a pen, something you can write on, some scratch piece of paper, anything. And I want you to get that out right now. Everyone's going to do it. And it's going to be powerful. You're going to feel tonight the power of the cross through a simple, maybe some of you might think even silly exercise, but you're going to feel the power of the cross blotting out the weight of sin. I want you to get that piece of paper and the pen that's behind your chair or, or the chair in front of you. And I just want you to write down. You see, someone this last week, Jerry, we were sitting in our office and he was, we were talking through this, this training that we're doing for leaders and volunteers and, and lay people, everyone. And we were talking about 
He said that we, that we crucify the flesh. We put to death the flesh. And I had to look it up. It comes from Galatians 5.24. It's on the screen. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what are we going to do with the piece of paper? What you're going to do on the piece of paper, I don't know what we've done totally in the past, but what you're going to do on the piece of paper tonight is you are going to scribble down. In all honesty, who do you have to hide from? Who do you have to hide from? No one's going to look at it. Who are we really hiding from? Scripture says that God sees every hidden thing and everything that was done in darkness. He sees every single thing. Spare yourself. And whatever you write on the piece of paper, let it be any word, thought, or deed that has fallen short of the glory of God. That's just an operating definition of sin. Let it be any word, thought, or deed, maybe a behavior, maybe a habit, maybe some piece of your flesh, sin, that you're going to crucify and watch its power fizzle out. Watch the enemy scatter as you go through this simple exercise. But take a second right now. These guys are going to sing a song all the way through while everyone takes their time to come up. There's hand sanitizer on the stage. Do the thing and then do the hand sanitizer. That's awesome. Great. Do it. And then just, just when you're ready, just roll right over to the front two stations or the back two stations and take communion. And take and receive Jesus' body broken for you and his blood poured out for you. And receive the power of the cross through the elements. And you just have to, to, to take the time. They're going to play this, sing the song, and they're going to play the piano, and you just go when you're ready. Start writing right now. Start writing. Start praying. I'm going I'm to pray over you right now. And you just come up, and you just kneel to the cross. And there's something powerful I don't want you to miss during this exercise. There's going to be a sound. And you're going to know it when you hear it. And it's going to take you immediately to that hillside, to that ledge, to Golgotha. And in that moment, you're going to meet Jesus afresh in a new way. So take this time right now. Jesus, I just thank you. I thank you. I thank you, God. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for taking the pain. Thank you for taking the, the death blows to your body. For me, a rebel like me, Jesus. And every person, every man, woman, and child in this room, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God for settling the record for me and for every person in this room, God. Let us take a moment right now, God, in confession and repent us. Let us churn from whatever it is that gets scribbled out and scrawled out on the card. And as we drive the nail into the card, let us experience your freedom. God, free people up tonight. I believe it. We receive it. Thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.